You're listening to a resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. It is our joy to glorify God by treasuring Jesus in the preaching of his word. We pray this resource will be a tool used to aid in your relationship with Christ in addition to your local church. Good morning, the Field Church, and welcome to this Easter service. Blessings to you on this Easter Sunday. I pray God's blessing over you and your household, God's transforming favor and power through Christ. And you know, that's what Easter displays to us, Christ's resurrecting power for himself and for us. Jesus has resurrected, and he has resurrecting power because he is God. Jesus, the Christ's resurrection, his own resurrection, solidifies the testimony that Jesus is the Son of God. After three years of testimony, from ages roughly 30 to 33, Jesus' resurrection from the dead caps off these testimonies, one final proof among all the proofs of his ministry with finality proving that he is God. In his resurrection, he proved this and combined with his ascension that he is alive forevermore. You see, even during Christ's time on earth, Peter declared, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And after his resurrection and ascension, Paul says, and we have our hope set on the living God. You see, the anticipation in the Old Testament of his coming, the testimony of the visitation and the arrival of the Messiah, the witnesses during his childhood, the testimony in his ministry, the fulfillment of Palm Sunday, the Passover feast of Thursday night, the crucifixion of Friday, capped off with the resurrection on Sunday. It is our proof that Jesus is God. He overcame death and therefore sin by his divine power. And this points us to another great certainty that Jesus can resurrect us from the dead. Our resurrection his divine power over sin and over death, it forgives us of our sins. It transforms our fallen hearts into the image of Christ. And it resurrects us into eternal life where we will experience God's presence permanently. Or we can say it another way. He can resurrect our dead hearts by saving us by changing us, and by raising us. And Paul says it this way in Romans chapter six. He says, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall be certainly united with him in resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him 
in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. He's alive. And death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is what the Son of God can do for us. He defeated death. He resurrected himself, and he resurrects all who believe in his name. He will usher in a new kingdom with no more evil at all, and only he has the power to do so. The question is, do you believe this? Do you believe this? It is this that we proclaim, especially on Easter Sunday. So have you believed in Jesus because of the testimony of his resurrection, that he is God? Have you died to your old life of sin and have you been crucified with Christ? Have you been raised to walk in a new life following Christ? Are you being transformed day by day by the power of his resurrecting spirit that is inside of you? Are you becoming more like Christ according to what his word says? Are you seeing evil and your old self go away and your new self and your new values coming into existence? Do you see your heart and your habits changing? Are you pursuing all satisfying joy in Christ? And do you look to the risen and ascended living Christ as your hope to work inside of you, to work and use you? For his mission to evangelize. Do you find hope and depend on a living Christ who is there to assist you and to serve you and to empower you on the mission of evangelism and discipleship? And in light of sin and sorrow and brokenness and fatigue and disease, do you ultimately look to the final defeat of sin and Satan where you'll be resurrected from death physically into eternal life? spiritually with God, where there will be no evil and you will be satisfied with his glory forever? Do you look forward to this? Are you changed by the power of his resurrection? Do you believe in him as the Christ because the testimony of his resurrection? The resurrected and the resurrecting Christ makes all of this possible. He's resurrected and he's resurrecting us continually. And he aims to prove that he's capable of doing this. He makes all of this possible. And he aims to prove it to us today in our testimony of him raising a little girl. He's resurrecting one from the dead as proof that he will raise himself from the dead and he will raise all who believe in him from the dead. Not only uh, into eternal life, but he will raise us now from death to life and give us new life in him here on earth so that we today as we see this testimony should believe in this Christ. We should be uh, pursuing to be transformed by this living God and we should look forward to the day that we will be resurrected by him.
So please, if you can now, let's turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 8, verses 40 through 56, and let's watch Christ's resurrecting power. Turn with me, Luke 8, 40 through 56, and would you join me in prayer before we read our passage? Father, we come, and we are so blessed to be here on this day as we look forward to one day being with you, that you will resurrect us from the dead, that we will be in fellowship with you permanently for all of eternity because of the great testimony that Christ, the Son of God, will fulfill his promise in bringing us to eternal life. God, help us to see this power of Christ and to believe in him, that he is the Messiah, that he raises us from the dead, that he saves our souls and is able to conquer all evil and give us new life, doing away with what's old as we repent and believe and bringing about newness, being born again and then being transformed. God, help us to believe this and to pursue this because we see the testimony of you, Christ, your resurrecting power. God, this all points us to you, Jesus, that resurrected from the dead, to prove that you are the Son of God. You are alive and you are at work. Help us to believe in you, be transformed by you, and look forward to being with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter eight, would you read with me? We're gonna read verses 40 through 56. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue, and falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. And for he had an only daughter about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all of her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. 
and her spirit returned and she got up at once and he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. What an incredible passage. And as we remember, beginning in verse 22 of chapter 8, we have observed Christ's power over the curse, over demons, over disease. And this morning, we pay specific attention to verses 51 through 56 and see testimony to his power over death. We will say that what we saw last week, number one, was Jesus's promise to resurrect. That's what we saw last week. We'll say that that's what the summary was. Jesus's promise to resurrect. And so in verses 49 through 50, if you remember, we ended on verse 50. And so last week when Jesus spoke about the daughter, right? In verses 49 through 50, after the servant came and said, the daughter is dead. And Jesus speaks to Jairus uh, in the midst of the crowd. And in verse 50, he speaks stating, she will be well. And here, unlike the the healed woman, uh, unlike the woman who he healed from disease, he is not referring to this daughter being well as being cured from a disease. And he is not referring to her salvation when he tells Jairus that she will be well. Here, instead, Jesus is speaking of a physical resurrection from the dead. That's what he promised. That's what he told Jairus. He promised to resurrect. This is what he promises. This is a promise of physical resurrection. Jesus is declaring his divine power over death as the son of God to Jairus. And this is the final proof of his messiahship. This points us to his own divine, divine resurrection. That's what will happen. This is him proving his power over evil. He's promising to provide resurrection, his power to provide salvation to us, his power to transform the church. This is all pointing us to larger truths, his power over evil, his power to save, his power to transform the church, believers, the power to redeem the whole world through the gospel. This points us to all of this. He promises to resurrect the girl, but he is showing us his power to save, to transform, to eradicate evil, to bring the gospel forth, to redeem the world, and pointing us to his mission, victoriously winning and reigning at the end. To his promise here to Jairus to resurrect his daughter. We see in this promise, we see his promise to resurrect all believers. In John 5, 24, it says this, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. That's the promise. He does not come into judgment but has passed from death to life. Jesus is promising Jairus that he will raise his daughter physically from the dead. And he's about to go and make his way to the house. And this again points us to the larger truth that Jesus promises us, his church, 
the ones who believe in his name, that we will be resurrected. He promises all who believe that we too will be resurrected from the dead. You see, Jesus makes a promise to permanently establish his kingdom on into eternity. And he's got the power to fulfill that promise. And so now, as he makes this promise to Jairus, he's going to head towards his home and visit the daughter. And we're going to see if he's got the power to fulfill this promise. And this points us to his promise to resurrect us, his promise to bring and establish his kingdom, his promise to fulfill his mission with the gospel, his promise to save and eradicate evil, his promise that he is going to be with us because he is the son of God and that he's got all power over evil. You see, now as we look at this story, as we end that section in verse 50, remember, he makes this promise to Jairus of resurrection and he says to Jairus, don't be afraid, Jairus. In light of death, don't be afraid. Keep on believing because of my promise to resurrect. In the face of the threat of death, don't be afraid. Don't be anxious. Stop being afraid. Keep on believing, he told Jairus. You remember this? Because he makes a promise to resurrect. And this too is what Jesus says to all believers. Don't be afraid, especially on Easter. Don't be afraid. Don't be anxious. Keep on believing because in the face of death, I have the, the power to resurrect you from the dead. And so we looked last week at Jesus's power to resurrect. We move on now to number two in our last section, Jesus's power to resurrect. So we saw his promise and now we see his great power. In verse 51, here's what we read. In verse 51, it says this. Read along with me. Look at your text. It says, when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. This new section in the power to resurrect, Jesus fulfilling his promise. Here's what we see. Verse 51 begins. And we see that he comes to this house. Jesus does. He heads to where Jairus lives as Jairus has begged him since the time Jesus arrived on the shore. And when he came to the house, it says. So he's there. He's finally there after he met Jairus after Jairus begged him for his daughter, after he encountered the woman. Now, the messenger has come, declared his daughter being dead, and Jesus continues to make his way to the house after promising to resurrect the girl. And when he comes to the house, here's what it says. He says, let's walk through the story. He allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and the mother of the child. And so here's what's happening. No matter how much time has passed, listen, Jesus has promised to resurrect and he's going to fulfill his promise. You see, some time had passed. Probably a few hours at this point has passed since he made that promise. But Jesus, no matter how long, he's going to restore this girl's life. He's going to resurrect her. He's going to fulfill his promise. So he only allows Peter and John and James into the house. 
and the father and the mother of the child. Now, this is the first time, especially, that he singles out Peter, John, and James. The first time in his life, in his ministry. This is for a practical purpose for really right now the other disciples setting guard outside the house. He's sending the rest of them outside and he's bringing in the three because the house is packed and there's many people squeezing in this house out of respect for the dead little girl. And Jesus begins to show even further respect by not bringing a multitude more into the house. So Jesus begins to do this. He, he's showing respect and love while setting his disciples outside the home. But he's also beginning this work at bringing his three disciples near him. This is the first time we see this. Peter being the leader, John being the one who loves, and James being the one who becomes the first martyr. This, this is his inner three, and this is the first time this intimate circle is chosen by Jesus. So here we see the very first picture of the three disciples, the intimate circle, the leader, the one who loves, and the first martyr. Here, Opposite of what we find with the woman who is Jesus in, intentionally brings into the public eye, Jesus here gives this uh, uh, little girl the same intentionality except the opposite purpose. He brings privacy into the home. The opposite of what we find from the intentional publicity of the diseased woman, Jesus gives this dying girl or dead girl as much intentionality, but just the opposite in the way that he brings about privacy in the home. Now, what's happening here is that what's going on in this moment to show us this picture of death is that this is the beginning of a Jewish funeral. They didn't leave dead bodies above ground for very long in Jewish society because they didn't embalm. And so what would happen, in fact, in the funeral is that these elements of what would take place are already happening. That's why there was so many people. Matthew actually tells us in Matthew 9, 23, that when Jesus came to the ruler's house and he saw the flute players and the crowd making commotion, you see what would happen, the reason why the house was so full is that there would be what's called professional mourners. There would be professional who mourn. Literally, they would hire what they call professional mourners. And so in verse 52, when you see even further moving on in the passage, they were all there weeping and mourning. Now this gives us insight into the Jewish funerals. We see in verse 51, what we just covered when he came to the house, no one was allowed in because there was a lot of people there. He picks the inner three, the father and the mother of the child come in. But verse 52, all were weeping and mourning for her. And this is what happens. This is giving us insight into Jewish funerals. You see, in the Jewish funeral time, they were not silent like you would expect at a normal funeral. In fact, when there was the death of somebody and they partook in a funeral or started the procession of a funeral, it was actually full of commotion and full of chaos. There was wailing and there was screaming and there was high-pitched flute playing and there was screeching and there was tearing of clothes. This is what it would look like for the Jewish funerals at this time. You see that the parents, they would tear their clothes over their hearts 
Others who were near uh, to this, to the person who died, they would tear their clothes near to the heart, but not covering the heart. And what would happen is the parents would sew that spot where they tore over the heart and they would leave it that way as shown that it was ripped and then sewn together for months so that others would observe their broken heart for months at a time. And so this was custom. It was so custom that all of this would take place that they had even 39 rules the Jewish heritage did about ripping your clothes and how that was done, how women should do it, how men should do it, and what to do in each particular circumstance. And so there's professional mourners, there's flute playing, there's chaos, there's wailing, there's screeching, they're tearing their clothes in particular ways. And for the Jews, this is normal. And this is what Jesus and the three are walking into. This is a Jewish funeral. Death has come. Someone's died. Now remember, Jairus hasn't lost faith. He told Jesus, we saw in the account in Mark, that if Jesus would just touch the little girl, she would rise from the dead. He believed, but everyone here was completely convinced that she was dead, and she was dead. This girl was dead, but they were hopeless, and yet Jairus remained hopeful because of what he knew about the Messiah. And Jesus had made a promise to resurrect. And so this is what's going on here. Mark says actually in verse, chapter 5 verse 38 that when they came to the house, the ruler of the synagogue's house, Jesus, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. This is what is happening in the time of this Jewish funeral. See, even in this time, they would require even of the poor two flutes and one wailer. And so imagine the one who is a ruler of the synagogue, what was taking place in a house like this for a daughter that had been dying. And what they would do in this time is they would yell out the name of the one who had died. And then others would bring in lists of others who had died in the same family. And they would begin to wail for those members of the family as well. And so they were wailing for everybody. This girl, others who had died in the family, they were tearing their clothes, playing high screeching music, wailing and yelling. They were literally bewailing, meaning wailing on her behalf. And Jesus walks into this with his disciples. In the second half of verse 52, Jesus speaks up. Now everyone's making commotion. And Jesus begins to speak. And he says something very different than what we would expect. He says, do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. Now, when Jesus speaks, everybody listens. And he speaks very matter of fact. You see, in this particular instance, actually, he is speaking very strongly. And he speaks up and he speaks very matter of fact because of all of what's going on in this moment. The total chaos is completely unnecessary. This is all very unnecessary. And Jesus knows it because of his power to resurrect from the dead. He says literally, stop weeping. Do not weep. Matthew and Mark give us insight to how he actually spoke. Matthew shows us these strong words, and he actually says, stop it. Get out. Get over it. 
It's over. This funeral is done. Here's what Matthew records in chapter 9, verses 23 through 25. He says, when Jesus entered the house, the synagogue leader's house, and saw the noisy crowd, the people playing pipes, he said, go away. The girl is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. And after the crowd had been put outside, so he actually puts them outside, he went in and took the little girl by the hand. So he says, stop it. Get out. And he puts him outside. And he is actually using some pretty strong language here. He is saying the funeral is over and everyone needs to get out. Jesus here then speaks of the little girl. And he says, she's not dead. She's sleeping. Now, what's interesting here is that Jesus is not giving a diagnosis. He's not saying that this girl is not dead, but actually just asleep. It's not a diagnosis. Instead of what we've maybe seen up to this point, that she's literally dead. That's what we've known up to this point. Jesus isn't contradicting that. You see, actually, the next verse that people laughed, it says, and Luke would have said maybe something different. Luke writes, they laughed because they knew, knowing that she was dead, not thinking that she was dead. They knew it. They weren't just thinking it, and that's why they laughed, because they thought it, but it really wasn't true. They knew she was dead, so she laughed. And even in verse 55, when Jesus takes her by the hand and tells her to rise, it says her spirit returned to her, and she got up at once. So this girl was, in fact, dead. That's what we're seeing here. And Jesus was instead, as he says, that she is sleeping, Jesus here is actually redefining death as temporary. That's the purpose. This is the way that Jesus sees it. Because of his resurrecting power, Jesus is redefining death for us as temporary. And this is the truth. This is the way that it's described in the Old Testament. For those who believe, believers are not said to die but to sleep and they will be raised soon after death to eternal life. You remember the testimony of Stephen and even in the New Testament, Acts 7, verse 60, it says, and falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. You see, God, even remember, remember what David said. He said, you won't let your holy one see decay. This isn't a permanent death. It's a sleep and being raised to walk in, a, in an eternity with God. And so meaning he won't stay in the grave. Eternal death is the permanent one. It's eternal death, permanent separation. That's what Jesus sees as death in hell. And this girl is not going to be permanently in the grave and she will not be permanently separated from God. So she is asleep. She's not dead. She's going to be raised physically. Then she's going to believe and she's going to be raised to eternal life. That's what he's alluding to here. And we see in verse 53 that they all thought that this was so ridiculous that Jesus would say this. So ridiculous because they didn't see things like he did. You see, he had eternal perspective regarding death. He knew his promise to resurrect and his power to fulfill that promise. And that those who believe in him would not die forever in separation from him. 
but be raised to eternal life with him. And they didn't see this perspective. They didn't believe in the Messiah. They didn't understand his words. And so they laugh. Verse 53, it says this. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. They all thought that he had said something so ridiculous that they laughed at him. And how ironic this is, because these are probably the professional mourners. How quick they are to show their true colors, their true hearts of ingenuineness in their unbelief, even in their mourning for this girl. They laugh at the potential that Jesus would raise this girl from the dead. They mock Jesus just as they mocked him on his own cross. Just as they mocked Jesus and his words, so too they're mocking him here about the little girl. Their unbelief in the person and the power of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the one who can raise from the dead, caused them to mock. They were mocking him just as many still do, even now as we talk about the resurrection from the dead or Jesus' power to overcome evil or his own resurrection from the dead or his power to save and to transform or him bringing in his new kingdom and power, his power to establish it permanently or his permanent uh, conquering of Satan and sin. People still to this day mock the words that Jesus speaks about his resurrecting power. And this is what's happening here. And so they don't believe. They believe what they can see with their own eyes. They don't see his eternal perspective. They don't believe his wisdom. They believe their own. They trust what is in this world rather than the truthful words of Christ. And so verse 54, we see after they laugh, because she was indeed dead, Jesus took the child by the hand. Such compassion. And he said out loud, child, arise. This was the son of God fulfilling his promise of the resurrecting of this girl. He had made a promise. He had gone, and now he is showing his power to fulfill his promise, to resurrect. Je Jesus didn't forsake his promise. Jesus takes her by the hand. Such compassion. He didn't need to do that. He does it by taking her by the hand and showing love and compassion. And again, as we've seen over and over in this chapter, with his words, he commands, just like he did with the winds, just like he did with the waves. Just like he did with the demon, here too, Jesus speaks, arise to the girl. This is different because no one else can do what he is doing. He is God. Jesus, just like we read in Genesis chapter one of God in the beginning of creation, speaks life into existence. That's why he has the power to resurrect from death. Only God can do this. And Jesus is showing that he is God. He literally says, little girl, rise. Mark tells us in Aramaic. It says in Mark 5, 41, taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi. And which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And Jesus speaks her to life. 
power. This is resurrecting power. We see in verse 55, it says, and her spirit returned and she got up at once and he directed that something should be given her to eat. Jesus speaks her to life. Resurrection. And the Jews know the story of creation, that no one speaks anyone into life except God. This is he, the son of God, displayed through the testimony of the power over death. This is Jesus, the Christ, the son of God. He didn't need her hand. That was compassion. He used his words and his command. Jesus' divine power over death. Verse 55, this exemplifies Jesus' power further because Luke tells us that what happens after her spirit returns, she goes from death to life instantly. Her spirit returns. She was indeed dead. And now she has been made alive. And she got up, it says, at once. And he directed that something should be given her to eat. Now, you ever wonder about the details in the text? You should. You should ask questions about every detail because God does nothing on accident. All of it is there on purpose. So why does Luke tell us that she got up at once? Well, Luke tells us that there was no time, no need for rest or recovery. No time for rest and recovery. When he spoke life into this little girl, she was full of it. Her spirit returned. She got up at once as he directed. And then he says, Give her something to eat. Now, why would he tell us this? Why this detail? He could have left this out. Ever asked that question? It's because this shows us this is a real person. This is not fictitious. She was raised from the dead by by his divine power as the son of God. This is not an illusion. As well as that Jesus truly cares for this girl. This is not a ploy to trick people. He wants her to be nourished and nurtured. This is a real girl who Jesus has just raised from the dead. His resurrecting power. She rose from the dead, as all believers will do. And she doesn't know. She can't do this on her own. She has no strength. Jesus is doing all of this work. You see, we as believers We don't have to fear death because we can trust the one who conquers it. And we we celebrate that on Easter. He conquered it. If we trust in him, then death for us is sleep. And we who are asleep for just a moment will awaken in the presence of Jesus. This girl did so physically and Jesus does that to us spiritually for all of eternity. Those of us who believe will fall asleep for a moment and awaken in the presence of Jesus Christ. This girl wakes up in the presence of Christ and those who fall asleep as it were without Christ will stay dead apart from God for all of eternity and awaken in a place the Bible calls hell. Jesus is speaking to some weighty truth here and how wonderful it is that when we believe in Christ, he resurrects us to eternal life. Verse 56, our last verse in this chapter. It says, and her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. 
We see this happen. And then we see that the crowd reacts. The parents react. The household probably reacts. And what happens at this point is it literally says that they stood outside their self. That's what this amazed means. This is the reaction. This is the same reaction that we have seen in other scenarios. Remember on the boat where Jesus uh, speaks to the winds and the waves and he commands them to stop and to cease? And everyone on the boat fears and trembles because they are man in the presence of holy God and they know it because he just had power over the curse. Or what about on the shore when he tells the demons to get out and they do and there's a trembling and a fear of the man who was is, who is cured because they, he knows and the crowd who comes know even though they don't believe and submit they know that they are man in the presence of holy God. And so too, as the woman who bends down and bows before God because she's been cured of disease and she knows she comes trembling because she knows she's in the presence of holy God, Jesus is the Christ because of what he's done, his power over disease. And so too, this family, these parents come and it says, Luke tells us they stand outside themselves because they know they are in the presence of holy God. No one else has the power to resurrect. Don't tell is what Jesus says after this. And at this point, we can understand because he does this differently in different scenarios. He tells the demon-possessed man to tell and he tells them not to. And we can understand this in a few ways. First of all, in his, in his manhood, Jesus, in being literally a human being, he had a lot of pressure. And in some instances, Jesus probably didn't want to accumulate more crowd and pressure. In addition to that, this was probably a judgment upon the people who were around that house, the ones who laughed. Don't go tell them. They got enough proof because this little girl is gonna walk again and they're gonna see her. They have enough proof to believe this might be a judgment. Inevitably, he knew that this testimony would take care of itself. That this little girl would walk out of the house, that she would go back to normal life, and that they would know she was dead and she had been raised by Christ. And this is the testimony to Jesus Christ. You see, this is different than Christ's own resurrection. When we see Christ raised from the dead, we see then the church begin after he ascends. We see the believers go everywhere into all the world, proclaiming that Christ has risen. And this Christ who has risen is the reason why we can have eternal life. We see the testimony even in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through 17. Paul writes, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? If he's raised from the dead, we too will be raised. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. 
For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have only hope in this life, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits. Then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom of God the Father. After destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies. All of his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection. Under his feet. Christ's resurrection we proclaim. We don't keep silent. We don't not tell anyone. Here this portrait of this little girl being raised is a microcosm. It's speaking to a far greater testimony. That Jesus is the son of God he will raise. And we will go tell everybody and he will raise us. By bringing us from death to life here on this earth, we will be given new life. We will be born again. We will be transformed with his power over evil to change us even here. And we hope for a resurrection, a sure resurrection in Christ when we die. And we get to be with him. And one day he will usher in and he will establish his kingdom, which is all of his power over evil and death will be no more for all of eternity. We see here Christ's promise to resurrect and his power to resurrect as the son of God. And so church, as we walk away from chapter eight, and as we walk away from Easter Sunday, we should apply some specific things. You see, there is application specifically in light of knowing Christ's power, seeing it to resurrect. They all witnessed it in this story. And you too now, as Luke has recorded this. Remember what he says his purpose was in chapter one to record, to give us an account. And so too, you have read this account. You have witnessed what they witnessed. And it should change you. It should make you different. This resurrecting power, fulfilling his resurrecting promise and looking forward to his resurrection and ours. It should not leave you unchanged with knowledge. It should change you in your heart. And so here, Jesus, the son of God, the one who overcomes death in light of seeing his power to resurrect you should do a few things. Number one is you should go to him for salvation. This is what you should do. If you are watching this and you have not yet trusted in Christ, because of this testimony, believe in him. Because of this testimony of his power to resurrect and the testimony that we will see later on in this gospel of his own resurrection, you can believe in him. This is a proof. This is a testimony 
This is a witness, as all the book of Luke is, one big testimony witness with incrementally pointing us to different witnesses in different sections that point us to different testimonies of different aspects of who Christ is. It is all one big compilation to show us that he's the son of God. He's the Christ. And with this testimony here of this little girl being raised and the testimony of him raising from the dead, it should make you believe that he must be God. Jesus must be God. And let him raise you from your death, from being out of your dead sins into a life with him. Let him raise you from being dead in your transgressions, spiritually dead, unable to seek God. That's what the Bible says. Romans 3, 10 through 12, it tells us that we are spiritually dead, unable to see, understand, and seek for God on our own, destined to eternal death apart from him in, the Bible, in a place the Bible calls hell, which is Romans 6.23 tells us. Ephesians 2 gives us insight into how salvation works. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5, it says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, that's the devil, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were all by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, see it there? If we are not in Christ, we are dead in our trespasses. He, in Christ, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Church, this is the picture that you have experienced. And for those of you watching who have not trusted or believed in Christ, have watched this testimony, witnessed it, and not put your faith in Jesus Christ, then you are still dead in your sins. And if God has not given you life in Christ, let me encourage you to cry out for eternal life through Jesus. He has the power to give that life to you, and it begins the moment that you trust in Christ. John says actually about eternal life that this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. When you cry out to God for salvation, for eternal life, from him to raise you from your dead spiritual state and bring you into a new life, being born again and on into eternity to know him forever. When you do that, he will save you of your sins and you will be forgiven and you will be with him forever. Tell him that you believe in who he is because of the testimony of his power to resurrect. Cry out for him to save you. You should go to him for salvation in light of his power to resurrect. Secondly, you should go to him for transformation. Transformation. You see, what we see in the resurrection is that Christ is alive. He's alive and working. First Timothy 4 tells us, for to this end do we toil and strive for our own holiness and for the mission of God. This is why we strive, because we have our hope set on a living God. He's alive. 
He has divine power over evil, including your sin. His spirit lives inside of you. His word has the power to change you in specific areas. As we repent specifically, God changes us permanently. And he's alive to help us do this. You see, again, when we repent specifically, God changes us permanently. What that means is we don't repent Generally, we repent specifically as we depend on the Holy Spirit and apply his word in specific areas at specific moments. And we look at his word and we say, oh, in this situation, I always thought I had to do this or I always did this. And now I see that God instead wants me to do it this way. Well, as we look at his word and by the power of his spirit that raised Christ from the dead that lives inside of us and we change over and over by this uh, knowing his word. He will change our hearts and he will change our habits as we do this repeatedly. And so as we repent specifically, God changes us permanently. And don't think that because that you've always been a certain way that you must be a certain way forever that you cannot change because this is what the power of the resurrected Christ shows us. He can change you. You don't have to be the same you've always been. Romans 8, 29 tells us, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. He, by the Holy Spirit, will make you more like Christ. Romans 8, 11 says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. He'll transform you. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, He is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. By his resurrecting power, he plans to make you more like Christ, and we always stay hopeful for him to do so. Number one, we should go to him for salvation. Number two, we should go to him for transformation. And thirdly, we should believe his promises of final resurrection. Church, continually look to Christ. In your hardship, in your sorrow, in your suffering, keep your hope, believer, in your resurrection, because he will make his promise true. You see, this is what 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 58 says. It says, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we should all be changed. That means Christ will come and some of us will still be here and some of us will die and be raised. And in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the trumpet, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed in a moment. For the perishable body must be put on the imperishable, must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immortality then shall come to pass the saying that is written death is swallowed up in victory O death where is your victory O death where is your sting the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law but thanks be to God who has given us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, uh, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You can take heart, for death is a pathway to glory. Christ is our gain. There is no more sting in death for those who believe. Death is no longer a foe, but rather a friend because it brings us to God. It is our greatest foe sterilized. 
We are then, if our greatest foe is sterilized, we are then those who are free from even our greatest enemy. We are free. There is no more fear in death, which was the greatest foe, because we have a hope to look forward to in our resurrection. If you continually put your hope in this resurrection, this will empower you for humility, for charity, for simplicity, for risk-taking mission and self-sacrificing service and active evangelism and self-sacrificing love. Continue to place your hope in your final resurrection. And you will be so satisfied that you will gain Christ that you will live for him. And you will evangelize. Listen, if you believe and continue to put your hope in this resurrection from the dead, this will cause evangelism in your life because you will be sure that those who you share with and who believe in the Christ will also inherit eternal life. They too will be resurrected from the dead. And some of us need to believe that. Some of us need to believe in this resurrecting power and put our hope in final resurrection and understand that those who we share with will be resurrected. Do you believe that? Do you believe that if you share the gospel with somebody and they believe in Christ, that they will be resurrected from the dead to be with God forever? Do you believe that? And I'm looking at you, Christian, because you say you believe it, but if you did, you would evangelize. And so we look to a resurrected Christ. It should cause us to go to him for salvation, look to him for transformation, and go to him in hope for the final resurrection. We should keep our hope in that resurrection from the dead. Church, we have seen from his power over death that he's the son of God, that he's alive, that he has the power to save, that he has the power to eternally resurrect us and that he has the power to overcome evil in our lives and change us to establish his kingdom. And we have seen that this points us to his resurrection that we celebrate today on Easter Sunday. Father, thank you for this great picture. Jesus, you have shown us your promise to resurrect this little girl. And Jesus, you have shown us your power to resurrect this little girl. This ultimately points us to your great promise to resurrect yourself, which you accomplished, and your great promise to us to resurrect us from the dead, which you accomplished, and you accomplished both by your power. You are alive, and you even now resurrect our hearts in salvation. We are born again. You transform us through your power over evil, and we take hope that you will resurrect anybody we share with and who believes in your name. And so we do so with all the more diligence. We believe that you will fulfill your promise to establish your kingdom because you have power over all evil. And so we look to you. We believe that you are the Christ because of this display and testimony. We look to be transformed by you because of this testimony and we wait trusting in your promise and look forward to being with you from the resurrection of the dead as we inherit eternal life 
in fellowship with you for all time. Thank you, Jesus, for your power to resurrect. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. We pray that it helps you joyfully make Jesus Christ your treasure. 